Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan, and this is a 124. 124. Oh, it just gets crazier every time I say it. Anyway, how's everyone's Thursday going? Yeah, how are you guys doing today? Lovely. Do you think there are, there were, hello, <laughs> do you think that there will ever be a point where we don't say the episode number? I mean, I'm, I could, I would be content to remove it. I would be too. Like because yo, it's yo, kind yo. of here. Let's try it right now. One, right. two, three, start. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes podcast. I'm Taylor and I'm Morgan. How's everyone's Thursday? Yeah, happy, happy Thursday. Thursday. Happy Thursday. <gasps> That's kind of cute. Yeah, we can we can get rid of it. But like, All how right. how We're, angry would you guys be? Be We're real. Solved. It's gone. Yeah, because I mean, I don't. The reason I don't mind it is because it's good B for F F R. BFFR. <laughs> the reason I don't mind it is because it helps me when I'm editing to know which one it is. It, mm-hmm. And also, but like there's just, it's kind of reluctant because yeah. it says it on the. Right there. And you guys don't care what number it is. No, like we've been here. We've like been it's literally it. for our own sake. It is. Sanity. Or, I mean, this is 125. I mean, that that's a good number 24. to stop on. Oh, God. Okay. Well, then no, 125 will be the last one. But I don't know. I want to say it when it's our 200th. But we'll do it on on like a on big, big ones on big yeah. ones. But we okay. don't need to be like this is episode one hundred and seventy one, <laughs> and if it's an angel number, obviously we have to do oh, it. Of course, of course. But we won't hit that again until two two two. Yeah, until two two two. Wow, that'll be that's a, nuts. That'll be a crazy day, guys. It's been a hell of a day. It has been a hell of a day. Patreons, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know this is a little week late, and you've probably got a what's new by now. You're probably sitting really pretty. You've already listened you're, to. You're like, we're cool. You've already listened to the episode cool, calm, and one of over here. February, but it did not go out. Um, I truly, to God, and I didn't, in when we were recording the last episode either, have any idea that this was going to be February. I don't even know what this episode for patreon is no i we don't say those numbers and no i mean not number wise i don't even know what we recorded for patreon i couldn't tell you either like Um, i don't know what i covered no i oh i know what i covered i covered the university of miami and what did i cover and you covered a conspiracy question mark oh a cp ah yeah you did you sure did i did shit that felt like forever ago. We've been really recording early. We have to now. And yeah, you'll really, figure out why soon. It's really nice, like in the long run. Yeah. But, but in term, but for people like me and like Morgan, we have this really horrific trait about us. Mm-hmm. And it goes every, it goes against everything that Poles stands for. 
Yeah. But we We've are. We've also failed polls. Well, no, we I haven't. Have. No, no, no. No, we haven't. We got to our goal, which was to be early at a certain date. We did. We and got organized. We bought iPads. We're organized as hell. We've got the Google tasks. <laughs> we, we got iPads that have our name on it. Yeah. Okay. Like we're fine. Yeah, you're right. No, we really have. I stuck think to in polls. like the um, procrastination organization part, like we've like really hit the nail on the head. Yeah. I will say I have failed live fit. Yeah. Me too. And live well. I'm Me just, too. I have been so tired this week. I can't stop napping. Well, you've been going through it. Yeah. With your health. Yeah, guys. Yeah. I had literal swollen eye. Well, first I had swollen lips. Then I had a swollen eye. Mm-hmm. And then it was just like my body was just like crashing and it, Reje- rejecting you. Like my immune system was down bad. And yeah. now I've been having headaches. And every time I take Excedrin, I have never had an issue with Excedrin. But the last two days I've taken it. You know how like whenever you take medicine, I was telling you this yesterday on Mm -hmm. an empty stomach and it kind of just gives you like all of a sudden like full body like chills and and, like your belly feels empty Mm -hmm. and like you're it's in your throat at the same time. Like that's what I have felt like the last two days every well specifically yesterday and last night because I took another Excedrin. I just couldn't get rid of my headache. I was pounding water. I even had a coffee that day like it wasn't a caffeine headache. It was a migraine. You know when I know what it is. What? And I figured it out when I was watching the last episode. <clears throat> your neck. Oh, probably. It's your neck and your back. Well, I do know that I have a little bit of a misalignment, but the chiropractors tell everybody that because they want you to come in. No, I swear to God, ch- chiropractors are worse than like Jehovah's Witness at your front door. Yeah, they're like, I swear you, you have scoliosis. Yeah. I'm like, that's nothing against Jehovah's Witness. It's just that one knocked on my door the other morning at nine. And the cat got out and Logan was in his underwear. I had no idea what was going on. I'm like, sorry, it's not a good time. No, I'm like, this is just, this Do is not the right Do you want to see time. the studio? Not, not the right really time. really love it. Not the right place. Like, th- first off, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> it's nine in the morning. I'm surprised they go around here. I, well, I've never had one come here before. I mean, yeah. we lived here for three years. So I've never seen one. I mean, it was, they would come to my home like in, yeah in pennsylvania yeah and we were like rural like, yeah we live out in the middle of fucking nowhere right and they would be knocking on that door hi are your parents home so early too or late at night i remember one came to my house um at after dark and it was in the winter so granted it gets dark at like five right yeah and i was really young and it actually dude it had to have been like eight o'clock at night it was where when someone knocked on the door we had the light off at the front door and this in my opinion if someone doesn't know that you're coming and their light is off on their front door you don't knock right you don't go to the door you need a call first like if it's someone you know you can go but like if it's someone you don't know if it's a stranger and the light's not on then they're not expecting you and they don't want company yeah point blank period yeah you know how like jehovah witnesses though they they don't leave no they stand there so whenever we were younger we were always home alone my both of my parents work so it was just us four kids right grin i had an older brother older sister but like we were always home alone during the day yeah once we got to the certain age where they could watch us. Yeah. And that was one of the rules, not to answer the door. And there's always TikToks, like, memes about it. Yeah. But regardless, um, they knocked on the door one day, and they weren't leaving. And they were, like, repeatedly knocking. And, like, we have, like, 
you can see in Mm -hmm. and you can see in from two rooms next to it Mm -hmm. and so we would always like crawl and like crouch and like call and be like hi i need to speak to beth ann please and it'd be like her office and they're like who is this and i'm like this is morgan you know how you call it can i have a cheeto anyway so (laughs) my mom's like okay well don't answer and then i think we ended up we ended up answering though like Mm -hmm. beforehand and we're like no one's here like it's just like us. we like broke every rule but like you know like what are we're well, kids because i know your mistakes. ass is being like hey, wh- what we're home alone we're- actually <laughs> so you need to go and so <laughs> well what was really fucked up though is that my, i remember we broke the rules because my parents were really upset with us like they were mm-hmm. like you don't open the door for strangers point blank period well the next day we had a neighbor and this is actually really really sad tragic kind of fucked up story on my younger age oh i know what this one is yeah so she was um like terminally ill she had cancer Mm -hmm. and they needed to use our backyard for life flight Mm -hmm. um to land the helicopter because the original pad was like overgrown and our yard was like the flattest and they could they could get it in there and so they were our doorbell was ringing and it had to have been like the next day or like a couple days after this jehovah witness event took Mm -hmm. place and so we were refusing to answer the door and like we were jumping up and it wasn't until we saw our neighbors um across the street because everyone was like walking out because there was i mean we didn't know there was fire trucks in the driveway guys ambulances (laughs) i'm sorry it's not funny the situation what's funny is how you guys were reacting we were literally like don't answer the door there's like a helicopter just circling your house just waiting to land i mean and they because they had to get permission on the property and police are probably knocking your door you can open the door for police we were like we don't open the door for strangers (laughs) and it wasn't until our neighbor sweetest old woman in the world uh i loved our neighbor she used to give us popsicles all the time we see her from across the street and she must have saw us peek our heads up Mm because she knows where we hide our heads and bob up (laughs) in the window and look she was like there they are (laughs) and she's like guys come on like she's like what pushing us out yeah and so we answered the door and we were like we had to get our mom on the phone anyway because we couldn't get permission but of course like i think that's actually really stupid that you have to get permission like i get it in a way of like you might damage this is a medical emergency like i mean i think any decent human being would be like absolutely land that like yeah but i think the reason they have to ask for permission is to make sure that there's nothing like uh, any wires or anything that they can't see that they would yeah but like they didn't ask that it was just like can we land it doesn't really but matter I, and guys so i used to scrapbook too this is also i love scrapbooking twisted for this so i had i took a picture of the helicopter in the backyard and i wrote <laughs> <laughs> i wrote an entire took post put the picture of the helicopter by scrapbook wrote an entire story about it morgan and then we had neighbors that were huge partiers and they like had like kids that were like 25 and they burnt a car during one of their parties and this is actually really <laughs> fucked up because beforehand we were going to cheer practice mm-hmm. and we saw someone passed out hanging out of the car like oh. drunk okay no. maybe dead who knows do you think it was one of those like don't drink and drive things where they put the dummy no, hanging out taylor they were they were crazy rave like ragers no. like huge bonfires they'd burn rvs like they were fucking crazy and oh it was a God. gorgeous brick house like and they huge, were like, like three-story home project x and they and their kids would because the parents traveled a lot and the kids were like 25 so like they just held project x anyway I'm so 25. also so after the helicopter page and my um scrapbook the next page was a picture of this burnt ass car and was like the i'm changing their name it starts with the e but i'm gonna call them the eeyores the eeyores 
hosted a backyard bonfire and it caught a car on fire. No, bitch. They lit that shit on fire. <laughs> not, not them hosting a party and accidentally a car caught on fire. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's people hanging out of it, people jumping on top of it. They've got gas tanks I in the picture. I've got to find my scrapbook. No, that's what I was about to say. You've got to bring your scrapbooks. I'll go and get mine. I only have one. It's big, it's rad, and I... I another side story sorry i'm just rambling here but my fourth grade teacher loved her she had two twins two mm-hmm. twin kids and she we like stayed in touch her husband also worked with my dad mm-hmm. and she emailed me no god <laughs> what happens pictures of her twins and i I, don't even... <laughs> I printed them out and i was like luke leah <laughs> in like huge capital letters I'm not saying that's their names but I'm also not saying it isn't and there's in my scrapbook these random kids who are now 20 probably I have your baby pictures in my scrapbook okay Morgan hit them with it if you're driving throw that shit on cruise control if you got a glass pour that shit up and let's get creepy Okay, Morgan, what do you have for us today on your new iPad? We forgot to tell them that we got them. Yeah, guys, we got them. We got them. Today on my new iPad, I'm going to be telling you about the tragic case of Mauricica Cornici, Cornici, a nun who lost her life at the hands of a priest. So trigger warning, this is going to contain a lot of graphic details, and it's a case around religion and alleged possession. So if you're not comfortable with that, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. In 1982, a young girl was born into a very broken Romanian family in the village of Periini, Weston, Moldovia, Romania. Her name was Marisica. When she was a little girl, her mother was pretty absent in her life, leaving her, her brother, and her father. But tragic struck the Cornicide children's lives when their father was convicted of stealing chickens and sentenced to four years in prison. And unwilling to serve time, he, trigger warning, took his own life and committed suicide when Marisica was just two years old. Oh, my God. Because of this, their mother, who was abusive and an alcoholic, was unable to care for Marisica and her brother, Vasile. She then turned them over to social services, and they were sent to live in an orphanage in Barlad. During this time, orphanages in Romania did not have a good rap. They were overcrowded. The children hardly ate. And authority abuse was at an all-time high. Oh, God. All in all, it's argued that the children were treated like animals. Marisica lived in the orphanage with her brother from two years old until she was 19 when she managed to find a foster family. While being fostered, she did side jobs and was able to save enough money to move to Germany. And while in Germany, she became a full-time nanny until things with that family no longer worked out and she moved back home to Romania to nanny for another family in Banat. Marisica at the time was not being paid well for her services as a nanny. She was still very much so living in poverty, underpaid, underfed. So she started to think that, you know, there was more to life than just being a nanny. While back in Romania, a friend of hers from the orphanage named Kitsa joined the Tonicu Monastery and became a nun. Also, she was able to reconnect with her brother, but still, life was hard. 
The two were living in poverty and struggling to find work. Inkita was always telling Marisika how pleasant life was at the monastery, how it provided warmth and food and a roof over her head. And this was tempting. So Marisika allowed for her friend to recruit her. And in 2005, at 23 years old, Marisika joined the remote monastery in the village of Tanaku along with her brother. Like I said, this monastery was remote, placed up on a steep hill in the Carpathian Mountains, very far away from civilization and inaccessible to the public. There was no running water, no electricity, and while there, Marisika would have to live a very strict life. Head of the monastery was Father Daniel Korojinu. Sorry, guys. I'm trying here. I even have pronunciations. He was very much an authoritarian and was only 29 years old when he got into this position of power. Oh. He grew up in Vaslui, Romania, where he was a star soccer player or football player, they call it. He wanted athletics to be his entire life, and he really wanted to attend the University of Bucharest to study sports. And then if it couldn't be sports, then he wanted to study law. Unfortunately, he was not accepted into Bucharest, and so he settled on the University of Lasai, where he did a full 360 of change and began to study religious studies. Hmm. A year after he started school, he was recruited by a businessman in his hometown to help build and open and run a new monastery that would be, quote, up in the hills. He was almost immediately ordained by the town bishop, who had some expectations that Daniel would finish his schooling in religious studies. But once he became ordained, he dropped out of the university and devoted the rest of his life to running this monastery. Oh, okay. Well, that wasn't the point, sir. We needed you to finish. We needed you to finish school. Right. Two years before Marisica joined the monastery, Father Daniel got into a bit of this political religious battle with the diocese. He argued with the bishop about something called the canon law. And the canon law is a set of ordinances and regulations that are made by church leadership for the government of this said organization or church and its members. Basically, it's like the most important law right. if you are running. Like it is the I've set even heard rules of, this. of the church. Right. And Daniel would just argue with them saying that, quote, these laws were 19th century innovations made by the Freemasonry. I'm not following that. So, sir? And they're like... You got to. It doesn't matter. Everything in this entire world was set back in the billions years ago. And because of his beliefs to disobey canon law, he ended up dissolving the community of monks that were at the monastery. What? And organized this community of nuns and then converted those monks to priests. And all of which the priests and the nuns were completely devoted to Father Daniel at this time. Like it was becoming more of like arguably a cult. That's not said anywhere, but in my eyes, that's what it seems. Well, to yeah, be. he doesn't even have. He's technically ordained, ordained. Technically, yeah, but doesn't have the the backings. That I mean, that's like if someone yeah. said, "We're going to call you Doctor Morgan," and you like took that shit to heart and right. started and you, giving medical yeah, advice. Yeah, I started to my people. own practice. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But regardless, this was very disturbing to the diocese because this was super unconventional. So they warned him that he needed to correct his ways to follow the church. But he had this very strong, like, dominating personality, according to Reverend Cornelio Barlandinu, which was the diocese acting bishop in that area. Mm. And this was also a huge ordeal because in 1989, the Romanian Revolution took place, which collapsed state atheism that was led by the Socialist Republic of Romania. And this ended the persecution of Christians in the communist Romania and revived Christian monasticism. I gotten that word a million times and i still can't say it the communist government closed 
during this time hundreds of Romanian monasteries, which in the Orthodox Church accepted both monks and nuns beginning in 1959. Hmm. And yet they were never able to like fully extinguish Christianity. So for decades, people were still carrying that religion. It just came with a lot of risk. Yeah. But once the communism fell, the church building, especially the monasteries, was booming. And it was all paid for by local communities or successful businessmen as this, like, mark of, like, devotion, like, to, like, we did it. Like, right. you know, like, I mean, they were. They were a communist country. They shut down all the monasteries. And then whenever the revolution came about, mm-hmm. everybody was trying to build a monastery because they knew it would be the next right a moneymaker they especially knew, for businessmen exactly and they knew that if they could get some investments or donate then they could get a lot of favors done for them. right and this resulted in churches and monasteries popping up so quickly that it was kind of outrunning the chance for the church to screen and properly train and ordain specific priests and monks That's leaving right. institutions in the hands of very like poorly educated priests Cult or leaders. monks or young men yeah, yeah. like father daniel once he took over the monastery, he let like kind of lost himself. Like I said, he was a star athlete, good looking guy. He let his hair grow down to his back and he had this huge, long, thick red beard that went down to his chest. He then plastered signs all over the fence to the entrance that were like warning signs for the outside, like public for the rules inside the monastery. And some of these warnings were, Men are not permitted after 4 p.m. Women are forbidden to enter in pants or with their heads uncovered. Only followers of the Orthodox Church are allowed inside. And then another sign said, this is God's house. Here the angels sing. Oh. The monastery had a concrete church. And then there was another building next to it where the nuns lived. And Father Daniel held services several times a day, regardless of the hour, even in the middle of the night. Like, he was just, like, service after service. Like, (sighs) I'm going to build this monastery It's like a never-ending church camp. Yeah, exactly. And this attracted quite the following from the villages nearby, specifically because Father Daniel had this, I don't want to say kink, but I'm going to say kink, about casting out demons. Really? Like, that was his shit. And that brought in a lot of people. He would perform exorcism prayers like on spot for people that came up to him where they were like, my son's possessed. And he would like, boom, exorcism. <laughs> and again, this was unorthodox because exorcisms were to be carried out by very well prepared, pure priests that have, you know, undertaken numerous amounts of education and approved and and should be properly documented, performed and approved with the help of other signed off priests. Right. You can't just so pull someone in and he think was it's just a- like an all time like rule breaker. Like just uh, God, I'm not a fan of him anyway. No, things were going well for Marisica at the monastery until they weren't. And it all started with an uncontrollable giggle fit during mass one day. This was out of character for a nun, especially Marisica, who was this now devoted nun to this church, this right. monastery and to Father Daniel. And from there, that little giggle fit, things began to escalate. Marisica would have sudden outbursts where she would just yell out like inappropriate or sexual things to other nuns. And then she began complaining about hearing voices in her head and voices telling her that, you know, you're sinful. And she would continue on having violent outbursts. And pretty quickly, the monastery acted on this. They began sedating her. 
confining her to her room and punishing her. Each time she had an outburst, Mauricica allegedly couldn't recall the events, like recall what had just mm. happened as if she was blacking out. After a few weeks, the monastery decided that she was considered a danger to others and a danger to herself. Therefore, they sent her to a psychiatric facility in Vaslui. I'm sorry, these words are hard. While there, she was clinically diagnosed with disorganized schizophrenia. Hmm. And while being hospitalized, her condition was gradually improving with the use of medicine that was prescribed to her. Yeah, that's great that they sent her to a medical place. Right. Yeah, that's great. They're on the right track. She right. never should have Churches left. typically don't do that. Right. Yeah. After two weeks, she was released back into the care of the monastery with orders that she needed to return back to the hospital to see the psychiatrist that treated her, whose name was Georgi Silvastrovici in 10 days so they were like we'll relieve you back to the monastery mm -hmm. you need to come back and see us 10 days check up right cool deal cool deal and marisica appeared to recover and she actually when she got back to the monastery she left for a very short time to travel to but not to treat retrieve some of the money that she had left mm -hmm. in a trust with her employers when she was a nanny mm -hmm. and she was expecting a good chunk of money and to me this seems like she wanted to leave the monastery like yeah. she was going to get the trust and she needed to leave the monastery. But again, that's just speculation. So she was expected 4,500 euros. But once there, she only received 500 euros. And this led a lot of the sisters and the nuns to believe that this threw her back in this state of like shock and rage. And it caused an outburst again. Where was her fucking money? In a trust fund, like with the family, I guess. So I guess they were paying her. But like also like maybe thinking like life, life long and right. they were putting it in a trust right i'm not sure maybe how that works maybe like she put a quarter of it away and they were like we'll put it in a trust for you whatever yeah like a quarter of every page i don't know where the four thousand euros went but right because to me it sounds like he went and got it yeah crazy red beard dude yeah even with her clinical diagnosis the other nuns her brother and father daniel believed that this was not a case of schizophrenia that this was the devil this oh. was satan himself Either she was being tormented by de by demons or Satan had infiltrated her life. And there was no other belief besides that. Therefore, the monastery stopped all medication and they decided to go the holy route. Then why did you send her to the right. psych psychiatric hospital in right. the first place? Right. This belief was also aided by her brother who actually told Father Daniel and the other nuns that he physically saw Satan go into her. And that his sister was suffering from a demonic possession. Brother. He told them that I've watched Satan walk into my sister's body. When, where, what did he look like? Right. And can you tell him to give me a fucking call? Did you call? take a picture? Like we're right. in 2005, my guy. What are we doing? He had a cell phone. What? How dare you turn on your sister? She did this to give you a better life. Right. Exactly. But as we know, schizophrenia left untreated will cause outbursts hallucinations, anxiety, and strange behavior. Mm -hmm. So once back at the monastery, Marisica would have these episodes where she would hiss and growl and manically laugh and sometimes hit herself. She would have seizures, and according to other nuns, she began begging them to tie her up, this is alleged, asking for help to get rid of the demons controlling her. Whether that is true, we are unsure, and it to me, it seems like a case of manipulation where the monastery him. was so like adamant that this was a possession that they had convinced her herself that she was being possessed. And so then she starts like, I can't tell you how many people. It. I mean, we know a, a certain person that had suffered from schizophrenia 
and they believed that a sibling was the antichrist yes and so i mean just a little bit of manipulation here by your someone you devote your life to will go a long way right into- and, it, and it's truly like your biggest fears is what's going to come after you right so if your biggest fear is As satan nun, being possessed right. and the fact that this dude is an exorcist on the go yeah drive through exorcisms yeah like clearly so we're not sure whether that whole entire part what the nuns were saying is true that she was like pleading begging and if it was true i certainly think it was a case of manipulation mm-hmm. or it was just a lie to cover up their own asses for what the rest of i'm about to tell you but they did exactly what she allegedly had asked them. They would sedate her. They would tie her up. They'd lock her in a room until she calmed down. But the outbursts were only increasing, leaving Father Daniel to come to the conclusion that the only way to help this devoted nun was through an exorcism. And he would later say in an interview, quote, you can't take the devil out of people with pills. End quote. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'll argue that her condition improved while on the medication. But besides the point, um, the monastery led by Father Daniel began to prep for an exorcism. And in order to restrain her, the nuns bound her hands and feet and locked her in her room. Meanwhile, they went about their day participating in the celebration of the ascension of Jesus. And let her be like all alone in her room, tied up while they're all out celebrating. Partying. Yeah, the ascension is that how you say that ascension? when he like rose from the grave right yeah it was just like a day of celebration for right him. and she's locked up so they're like we're gonna start the exorcism but uh party time <laughs> pause in the middle of an exorcism party time pause devil are you good if we leave yeah. her here with you for a bit right huh? and she stayed there for days me and jesus are going to party right A few days later, after Marisica had been literally weakened at this point from being tied up and locked away, she was retrieved from her room and then chained to this makeshift cross with her arms stretched out as if she was being crucified. They then carried her on this cross from her room to the church, the holiest place that they could think, to anoint her with holy water and prayers. According to a nun at the facility, Sister Nicoletta said that, quote, had Marisica not been restrained the way she was, she could have either killed herself or killed someone else. And I quote. mean, I would want to kill someone else, too, if I was strong, nailed to a cross like Jesus. Right. Which is like the ultimate punishment was the fact that and betrayal was the fact that Jesus was tied on and nailed to a fucking cross. Yeah. So we're going to do that to her. Yeah. Once in the church, they prayed and they sprinkled, I'm sure, threw holy water on her. And Marisica allegedly was swearing, fighting back and hissing. So they gagged her by stuffing a towel into her mouth. Oh, my God. They left her in the church and carried on this exorcism for three days. She was left tied to a cross for three entire days in that church. And the only reason they ever removed her after those three days was because the public was like, why aren't we carrying out our services anymore, Father yeah. Daniel? Like, why, why, why have our services been put on pause? What's going on? And why, why is it taking three days? This is like that one time that you covered the case and it was like, you know, we got 50, Michael Taylor, I think that was yeah. his name. And he's like, we got 15 other demons left, even though it took me three hours to get rid of 189. Yeah. But whatever. But despite 
push all that away. You can do services through the middle of the night. And preaching right. is a, a whole thing. I mean, we sit here and talk for hours on this microphone and we're dead. We're not even walking around. Preaching right. is a whole different ballgame. You're getting up at 2 a.m. to give a sermon. Why can't we just finish this in a 24-hour swoop? Right. Because y'all are taking breaks to go to sleep and leaving. And parties. Parties for Jesus. Right. So during these three days, they prayed to cast out the devil. And the only fluids that Marisica received during this time was when they would just wet her lips with holy water while she had a towel down her throat. You're joking with me. Swear to God. After the three-day mark and prayers and the exorcism in whole, she was removed from the church and placed back into her room. And according to Father Daniel, it worked. Marisica was cured. What was in that holy water, her medicine? But once back in her room, she was untied. And she was weak, dehydrated, exhausted, and starved. The nuns began to feed her, giving her bread and tea, which Marisica was, like, able to reciprocate. Like, she was eating it. And then she passed out right after eating. And they couldn't get her to wake up. So they checked her wrist. They checked her neck. And they noticed that she hardly had a pulse. So they called for an ambulance. Oh, thank God. Thank God, right? Once arrived, Marisica was loaded into the ambulance where they gave her six doses of adrenaline. But by the time they reached the hospital, she was dead. The hospital then called the police and notified them about the situation because their now deceased patient had marks on her wrist, her ankles, as indicating that she had been tied up. I mean, very, very clearly her, she's yeah. been gagged. And she chained. She doesn't and have any water. She doesn't have any looks food. Looks extremely malnourished right. at this point. Um, an autopsy was performed showing that Marisica died of dehydration, exhaustion, and a lack of oxygen. And this became news, like national news, worldwide news. And the entire monastery and even the village went to bat for Father Daniel. He was doing interviews left and right, talking about the situation, defending his method, saying that tying her up was based on the oral tradition of the church first off since when do we follow traditions father daniel yeah i thought we said literally said you said screw the canon law canon law gone but tradition i gotta tie her up like that on that truck you know one thing we keep around here is tradition (laughs) no like i just can't with this guy um he also says that quote only god knows why he took her and i think that's how god wanted her to be saved end quote in june of 2005 father daniel and four nuns were arrested charged with aggravated murder during an 11 hour testify they defended themselves that they were innocent and actually blamed the media pressure for their arrest Mm. as it had gotten worldwide media attention at the point of the trial his followers were also defending him saying that the prosecutors were just pressured by the media and they went way too far charging them with aggravated murder and probably should have just been something a lot lighter like a manslaughter charge That's what his, like, followers were saying. All you brainwashed bitches, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Father Daniel was charged to 14 years in prison while the four nuns involved, Nicoletta, Adina, Elena, and Simona, were sentenced between five to eight years. The Court of Appeals then reduced his sentence from 14 years to seven years, and Father Daniel was then released on parole in November of 2011 after serving only two-thirds of his sentencing. What's this dude doing now? Uh, He got stripped. So the Romanian Orthodox Church closed down the monastery after the incident and removed all of the titles from Father Daniel. Thank God. So now he's just Daniel. Now he's just Daniel. Daniel. Dickhead Daniel. No degrees. No certifications. Right. But in 2014, it was revealed to the public that the cause of death was actually due to 
an overdose of adrenaline that was given in the ambulance. And this came from the coroner. Um, His name was Dan Gary Gayu. Um, Sorry, Dan G. And he, Dan was part of the autopsy team that handled the Marisica's case. Mm -hmm. And he said, quote, that it was concluded that the woman died of an overdose of adrenaline. Don't ask me. I don't know why the judges did not take that into account. End quote. Sounds like the coroner is a follower of um, Father Daniel. Well, yeah. But once Father Daniel got word of this, he went public saying that, quote, my biggest mistake was that I called the ambulance when I saw she was not moving. I think she died because the medics who came with the ambulance tried to resuscitate her by giving her way too much adrenaline. Had I not called the ambulance, she would have been well now. Okay, no, because here's another thing. If she, she, clearly she overdosed on adrenaline. Yeah, because she, her body couldn't break it down. Right. Her body couldn't process it. She was so dehydrated, starving, exhausted. No it's, fluids for three days besides a little bit of holy water. And I lips. bet even if you were to like open, if you were to draw blood from her, nothing would come. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, there's no movement. Yeah. Sad and so they, did they give her too much? Yeah, but it was because it wasn't working. It right. wasn't moving. At that point, like after probably the first couple rounds, they were like, she's gone, but we can keep trying. Like, yeah, we can keep going if you want. Yeah, I I really don't like this case. But the exorcism of Marisica has led to two movie productions, a Romanian drama film called Beyond the Hills that was released in 2012, and the horror film that was relatively popular. It's called Crucifixion. It was released in 2017. Yeah, I do know that one. And I think I like had just watched it. Like it was just one of those movies I like. Put I think on. I watched I, it like, too. I like remember that I can put pictures with the story. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that is the case of Marisica. I wonder what uh, Dickhead Daniel's doing. Yeah, me too. I wonder if he listens to this. And I guarantee you that the whole, if it was an overdose of adrenaline, I think it would have been probably dehydration lack of oxygen yeah. exhaustion and adrenaline yeah and i feel like that coroner was probably a member of or got paid off monastery. to say it whatever and also like brother like her brother like y'all went through hell and back growing up like you right. were in an orphanage i know you were mistreated there mm-hmm. she leaves she tries to make a life out of herself for in germany she becomes mm-hmm. a nanny she's able to save money but it just wasn't working out for her so she comes back home she rekindles with you it's her friend that's like join this monastery and he comes along with her and i feel like he had to have been like i feel like there's a lot more to this story i feel like her brother and father daniel might have been like not 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 in a sexual way not but like but, but like the, buds because like there wasn't a whole lot of men there i bet that's and, what i was gonna say like you're you're gonna t- take my throne you know what i mean type of situation yeah and i think that um marisica was just absolutely manipulated and i think you're right i think either she was either getting the money for herself because she needed to leave mm-hmm. the monastery and or he made her go get the money yeah because, like, really, though, why would she need to go get this money unless she was leaving? Mm-hmm. She doesn't have to pay. Maybe she had to pay medical bills. I don't know. But I feel like monasteries, if they if they send you somewhere, they pay for it. Right. So I'm not sure. I don't know. And then also, like, this entire time, like, your BFF that you grew up with in an orphanage was also your sister there. She was a nun there. Right. So where was she at during all this? That, because she wasn't learning. one of the nuns that was charged. I, well, I... I bet she couldn't say anything or she'd be like, they'd be like, you were possessed too. Yeah. So it's almost better to just go along to save your own life. But like, 
Mm-hmm. And she was the the not the perfect age, but like her age was very young. Early twenties mm-hmm. is very common for schizophrenia to Show no longer be dormant, right? In your mind, right? So it was just like, and even like the psychiatrist has done like numerous interviews, and he was like, it was your typical, like a hundred percent. It was schizophrenia. It was not a demonic possession, right? Like she on medication she was her normal healthy minded self like yeah. she was i don't know like this guy has no creditation to him he has no education like w- was he probably an intelligent man obviously he was able to finesse his way to where he was like in this place of the church mm-hmm. and even like go against the diocese and like the whole entire roman orthodox church or romanian not roman and yeah like, so I do think he was very intelligent, but like he wasn't, like they said, during this time period, churches and monasteries were popping up and everyone was just so excited to be able to practice their religion again mm-hmm. that no one was getting screened. He's no just a narcissist. Was getting screened. Yeah. Like end of the day, he's a narcissist. He's probably got a high IQ. Yeah. And that's the- why makes a perfect cult leader literally makes the perfect cult leader and i'm also not saying that this monastery was a cult i'm just saying this guy was just not he was he had, not pure of it had did not have pure intentions on what he was doing. no pure like, intentions he's going against the church right that and, and that he's technically him. ordained through he was like yeah y'all are freemasons i ain't listen to that shit but i own this monastery so i just actually got rid of all the monks and if they wanted to convert to priests then they're cool to stay i want if not then the nuns are all devoted to me i wonder what his like family is like yeah because like where he end of the day people that are narcissists will find a way to control others and what is religion Mm -hmm. it is a great way for fucked up people like him and if you're watching this allegedly fucked up people like him will go and they will use it because it's a pressure point right it's where people are vulnerable and you can see like the god complex from like his high school age Mm -hmm. we don't know much about him but we knew he was this star athlete and he was like i'm going to this university which was probably an incredible soccer school Mm -hmm. and he was like i'm gonna study sports i'm gonna play sports i'm gonna be an athlete and then he doesn't professional then he doesn't get in so what's the next best thing to jump over to a god complex religion right and i'm positive there had to be like different mediums in between i bet he tried to go be a celebrity yeah i mean i wouldn't be i would not be shocked if we politician if we found out he took um acting classes and for this businessman to know who he is he's got to be either well known Mm -hmm. or a good family Mm -hmm. wealthy family i don't know there's more to the story that isn't maybe publicized but if it is, I mean, we wouldn't be able to access it or be able to yeah. translate it. I yeah. mean, we can go through all those articles like every time I do an, an international case. And really, like Australia gives me a lot of shit whenever I try to get into Australian stuff and everybody tells me to get a VPN. This is my very first Romanian yeah. case. And I tried to cover a Romanian case before and I literally couldn't. I couldn't yeah, get difficult. could not get into anything. Especially once you come across something like this and there's already a trial that took place. Mm-hmm. Every almost every article that you see focuses more on the sentencing, mm-hmm. the trial. Welcome to true crime, baby. Yeah. It's just sucks. It's rough because you can't find detailed accounts of the crime itself. So you've right. got to go and like back. piece everything yeah. together and you gotta go backwards. You know how many I probably have fifteen viruses on my computer the way oh, I sure. research shit. We yeah. both do. 
Yeah, my computer just literally shuts me out. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're done. Yeah, that was like, a thirteenth one this in again. <laughs> I'm like, okay, ready to move on? Yeah. Okay, so since Morgan dipped her toes into the true crime side of things, Ooh. I took this as my opportunity to do the same. Do a little switch of ruski today. And when I tell you that I have a trifecta in a singular case, I've got it. I can't wait. And it's crazy. So initially, this is actually kind of funny. Initially, I planned on doing a case that I've been wanting to do for a long time in a certain way. Before I knew it, I was 186 pages into a book and was like, (laughs) scrap this. We've got to wait because I need to be able to completely digest this book. And I moved on to this, which I actually heard M cover on And That's Why We Drink back in 2018. Yeah, and it took you a second to realize that too because you're like, yeah. did you cover this? I heard it. Did you I cover it? freaked out because freaked I was out. like already halfway through the notes and I, because I know this case. I was like, oh my God, I know this completely. So I'm flying through my notes and then I get to this one point and I'm like, oh shit, I listened to someone tell me this. So then I start going through all of our information, like all of our episodes, can't find it. So then I call Morgan. She doesn't answer. I text her. I'm like, have you covered this case? She's like, no, I haven't. And I'm like, oh, my God. So then I go into my podcast app and I look episodes that I've listened to and I type it in. And it was like M and Christine covering it. Shut so, up. And actually, I forced guys. Logan to listen to and that's why we drink in the car one day for the second time so that he could hear this entire case and there's a movie about it so most people recognize it i can't wait today i'm covering the flannan isles lighthouse disappearances oh shit so scottish and i'm gonna go ahead and ask for forgiveness from the scottish gods because truly from the bottom of my heart it's hard for me and the romanian gods while we're at it and romanian gods while we're here do you mind do you mind for we're forgive us please <laughs> god also the italian gods you you also deserve that from the vatican girl episode yeah i'm just going to go right into it we're gonna keep it crimey and then i'm gonna dip my toes into the creeps at the end my favorite the outer hebrides or the western isles is a chain of islands on the western coast of mainland scotland which is where the flannan isles are located and this is a small group of uninhabited islands that often are referred to as the seven hunters it gets its name from the 7th century irish preacher and abbot saint flannan the islands are split into three different groups number one the main cluster which consists of two principal islands on the northeast and these are the bigger ones Eileen Moore which is Big Island and then Eileen Ty which is House Isle number two two islands that lace to the south that are called Soreri or Eastward Isle and Sagir Tomain which is because there's a roof over there and I guess Sagir is reef did I say roof yeah you did definitely reef. reef reef and then the last of the three is a cluster of these outcrops to the west eileen agoba which is isle of the blacksmith Roerim, which i have no idea what that translates to and then brona clita clea cleat clit <laughs> clit which Period. is sad sunken rock so honestly sad sucking rocks <laughs> sunken not the clit island that sucks rocks (laughs) sucks rocks okay but it's honestly kind of fitting yeah you know sunken rock okay anyways eileen 
and I don't know exactly how you pronounce this. Some say Aileen, some say Eileen. I'm probably going to go bounce back and forth, but I'm going to try my best to do Eileen or Aileen. Aileen Thai is home to ruins of a stone shelter, which is what gives it its name, which is House Isle. But Eileen Moore is the home of the highest point of the Flannan Isles, sitting at 289 feet above sea level. Also on Aileen Moore sits two well, actually three structures. The first being the ruins of a chapel that is dedicated to St. Flannan, the ruins of a small hut, and then the Flannan Isles Lighthouse. In dun, the, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. In the late 1800s, it was designed by a lighthouse engineer named David Allen Stevenson. And like 17 generations before him were lighthouse engineers. So like they were the family that you went to. yeah. And he did this at the request of the Northern Lighthouse Board. And I'm going to refer to them as the NLB throughout all of this. So basically they're in control of every single lighthouse in Northern Scotland. Okay. It was constructed by George Lawson and his men starting in 1895 and it was completed in 1899. The lighthouse sits at 331 feet tall whoa near the highest point of eileen or aileen moore that's huge and that's like where it is from sea level so it, the the thing the structure itself is not 331 feet okay because of this location all of the materials used to build the structure had to be carried up 148 foot cliffs from the boats Therefore, a cable-hauled railway track was installed to transfer all of the materials, also to transport anything that the keepers needed while they were staying there, plus fuel for the light, which was paraffin. And this was at the time that it was constructed. The original light that took paraffin needed 20 barrels of fuel a year to stay lit. Holy Barrels shit. of fuel. The building, landings, stairs, So it was like a gas lighthouse. Yeah. And that's what... I I guess all of them. All of them are. Yeah. And I didn't know that. Why don't we just have like... Probably not anymore, but like now. This now is still a gas one. And I guess that makes... Because it's on a remote island. And it's only at night. Yeah. Okay. Fair. But why... I I guess the gas ones go longer. Yeah. Farther through fog. I don't know. I don't know enough about lighthouses. They freak me out. So yeah. what is the point of them? I mean, I get it. I get no, the I point do, of them. I do understand. And they're, they're like really cool in terms of what they like symbolism, what a lighthouse stands for. But I always feel like there's just fucking tragic stories. There's so many people that are infatuated with lighthouses. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just like I've been to so many. I've been to like, a million. And why? Like, they're all the exact it, same. Why are they tourist attractions? I don't get it. I don't know. And why do we go to them? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, every time. Why do you buy a magnet? Why do you buy? Really? Why do we buy? Why do you buy a picture frame with a lighthouse on it? Like, why? What's up? But I guess it's a symbolism of what a lighthouse stands for, like home. Yeah. So I get that. But on the flip side, they're just always creepy as hell. Yeah, they are. And you got to climb up 900 stairs. If I saw something flashing at me in the middle of the ocean in the dark, I'd be like, uh, alien. I guess as a person in a ship, you're like, thank God. Before there was radar, you're like, we made it, everybody. High five. Yeah. We did it. That's true. Yeah. So anyways, the building, the landings, the stairs, the railroad tracks, they all cost a total of... 1,899 pounds in the 1890s. It is a black lantern that sits atop a white cylinder tower 
with a balcony and is attached to a one-story white keeper's home. After its construction, the lighthouse was lit for the very first time on December 7, 1899. It later became one of the first Scottish lights to receive communications using mm. wireless telegraphs in 1925. Wow. And in September of 1971, specifically September 28, 1971, it became automated and a helipad was constructed for emergency maintenance. Wow. And actually, I think... I could be really wrong on this, but I believe it was the last lighthouse or the first that had someone working it, which wow. is really, really yeah, interesting. That's, that's cool. Could you imagine if like yours is next on the list and you're yeah. like, thank God. Yeah. But then you're like out of a job. So that kind of sucks. And I bet some light keepers really loved it, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. But the light now uses Aisteline. I don't know what that is. Me neither. Das to burn, and it reaches 17 nautical miles or 20 miles. And I think that's also what it, re it reached 20 miles. They did all of this for great reason, aka getting rid of lightkeepers, because the Flannan Lighthouse is not known for its beautiful design or its construction and history. Of course not. Instead, it is known for the Flannan Lighthouse mystery. When the lighthouse first lit in December of 1899, five men were hired as its keepers. Principal keeper, James Ducott, first assistant, William Ross, second assistant, Thomas Marshall, the occasional keeper, Donald MacArthur or MacArthur, and a relief keeper named Joseph Moore. Because of how far out the Flannan Isles are from the rest of the Outer Hebrides, the relief station is actually located, and typically relief stations are nearby or on the other side of the island, but when I tell you that Aileen Moore is a dead-ass rock, it's a rock with grass on it. Okay. And that's it. And if you looked at this on a map, it's crazy. Like, you can't even see it on the map. You have to, like, Maybe zoom in, zoom in, zoom in. It's really rough. I'll pull okay? it up with my new iPad. Yeah. Pull, Keep talking. Pull it up. But because of how far the Flannan Isles are out from the rest of the Outer Hebrides, the relief station is actually located on the Isle of Lewis at Bresclat, Blesclet, Bresclet. It's a city over there. Bresclet. And that is 20 miles east of Eileen Moor. Keepers worked six weeks on and two weeks off at a time, with three men manning the lighthouse at all times. In mid-December 1900, just one year after being opened, these three keepers on duty were 43-year-old husband and father of four, principal keeper James Ducott, 40-year-old husband and occasional keeper Donald MacArthur, who was actually filling in for first assistant William Ross because he was on sick leave, and the youngest of the group, 28-year-old second assistant Thomas Marshall. That looks intense. Intense, dude. It's crazy looking, isn't it? On December 15th, 1900, the Arctor steamer was on its way to Leith, I believe is how you pronounce it, from Philadelphia, and passed by the lighthouse around midnight. Due to the poor weather conditions, they were unable to make out the light itself, so they logged that it was not operating. And the captain of this steamer was Captain Holman. He ordered that this be reported to the NLB when they docked three days later, because this is a concern. However, this report was never either taken or received. At noon on December 26th, the lighthouse tender boat Hesperus made its routine visit. 
when Captain Jim Harvey pulled up, he noticed that the flags were not on the flagpole, like not even the Scottish flag. And that was a part of the daily routine. You would take them down at night, put them back up in the morning. Also aboard this ship was the relief keeper, Joseph Moore. Thinking maybe that the men had overslept because they were there at noon. Maybe they had a long night. They overslept, whatever. They just started honking their horn and just nothing. So then in a last attempt to get the men's attention, they used flares. But still, none of them came outside. Because of this, Joseph was sent in a small boat to check on them, docking on the east landing of Eileen Moore. Everything seemed fine and in order on the east landing, so he continued up to the lighthouse, which was a trek to get to, might I add. Yeah. Plus a million obstacles that you have to go through once you get to the lighthouse itself. So there's a gate entrance, a front door. Then when you open the front door, it goes to like the living quarters or the kitchen. The gate entrance was closed. The front door was closed. The door to the rest of the area was closed. The only door that was open was to the kitchen. Inside, he found that the fire was not lit and it looked like it had not been lit in days like it was completely burned out it had not been taken care of which was the only way that you could cook it was the only way that you had heat and i'm talking this is late december in scotland right in the middle of the ocean freezing to death right like it's north of scotland technically freezing to death So obviously this is concerning to see. The men's beds were not made as if they had jumped up in the morning and ran and did something. And all of the clocks were unwound, completely stopped. So then I had to look this up because I was like, wait, clocks didn't just run on their own? They had to set them. You had to like crank them up. Yeah. So they hadn't been cranked. And typically it would take like a few days for them to run out. Holy shit. Which is really concerning. And the men were nowhere to be found. Something was wrong. Principal James Ducat ran a tight ship. He would never allow any of this to happen. Or Something had to happen for him to be gone, right, like for the fire to be burnt out. Joy. Like He had been doing this for 20 plus yeah. years. So Joseph rushes back to the Hesperus, alerting the men that something's really wrong and I need other people to come up here. Two other men went back to the lighthouse with Joseph and they continued searching. They discovered that the lamp had been cleaned and refilled. So it was completely prepped as if they had, because you know, you only keep it on at night. Mm -hmm. So then you would prep and refill in the morning. So that way when night came, all you had to do was just turn it on. It was as if they had done everything that they were supposed to do in the morning other than raising the flags and disappeared into thin air. Both James Ducott and Thomas Marshall's waterproof coats were missing, yet Donald MacArthur's was left behind. They reported all of this back to Captain Jim Harvey, who told Joseph and three other men to man the lighthouse and continue searching, and he was going to go back and get help. The Hesperus returned to the Isle of Lewis, and Captain Harvey immediately sent a telegram to the NLB that read, quote, A dreadful accident has happened at the Flannans. The three keepers, Ducat, Marshall, and the Occasional, have disappeared from the island. The clocks were stopped, and other signs indicated that an accident must have occurred about a week ago. Poor fellows, they must have been blown over the cliffs or drowned trying to secure a crane. End quote. Meanwhile, the rest of the day and the next, Joseph Moore and the three men that were manning the lighthouse searched every inch of Aileen Moore for the keepers or any sign of them. They found that the West Landing had severe damage to it from what looked to be a storm. The iron railings were bent and broken. 
the railway path from the western landing had been ripped out of the concrete holy shit a tackle box that was more than 108 feet above sea level was missing and all of the things that were inside were thrown around half of the ropes were gone they were on the rocks half were on the land and then a rock like and when i say a rock i mean a ton boulder it was uh, a ton was moved yeah. Also, an emergency use life buoy that was secured to the railings on this path was missing. After examining the ropes used to secure it, they determined that it had not been removed by man, but instead by an extremely strong force, likely the sea or the wind, had ripped it off. But I just want to note, this buoy was tied to a railing and secured 110 feet above sea level. Mm. And on top of the cliff, the main cliff on Aileen Moor, which is 286 feet above sea level, the grass had been ripped off the edge. And I'm not talking like a little piece of grass. I'm talking 33 feet worth of grass was gone. What? Yeah. Like it had the ocean jumped like up a 300 and foot it. wave. Literally. Yeah. Upon further investigation, though, most of this damage had actually been logged by the keepers, specifically talking about the tackle box and the ropes that were missing from the western landing. But that's not all that they found in their logs. The last entry was from December 13th. However, their slates had record of December 14th and December 15th with such details like the atmospheric readings, the time that the light was extinguished in the early morning hours of the 15th. But they also wrote about how bad the storms and high winds were along with a note that the keeper's morale were really low because of the bad weather. Searching for more details about their final days in these logs, Joseph and the other men searched through the belongings and they discovered that Thomas Marshall had kept a journal with his own personal logs. Thomas wrote about the storms in his journal saying that they had gotten so bad at one point that the three men got down together and prayed to God to keep them safe. He continued to describe how his fellow keepers had been acting, noting that James had been very quiet, which was odd for the principal keeper, and Donald MacArthur was caught crying. But the final entry from Thomas's journal was simply, quote, storm ended, sea calm, God is over all, end quote. They reported this back to the Hesperus captain Harvey the next day when he came to check on them. By December 29th, the NLB and friends and family members of the missing keepers needed answers and they needed to determine exactly what day the men had gone missing, which should be easy to determine because it would mean that the light wasn't on that night. Right. And they had someone put in place to watch for it each night, a gamekeeper. Back in these times with lighthouse locations like this one, where there were no radio signals, no form of communication, no telegrams, nothing, it, on extremely remote and secluded areas, gamekeepers were hired to watch for the lights each night, as well as flags or cranes or poles that indicated that the secluded lighthouse keepers were in danger. Therefore, every night, the gamekeepers, who were typically experienced on a break or retired lighthouse keepers, were to log whether or not they could see the lighthouse light at night or signs of communication during the day, such as a crane, a pole, a flag, or 
really just anything them moving around yeah so they were to look in the morning and at night that was their literal only job so if there were no signs of the light at and or any type of communication from the keepers or truly to god anything that just seemed concerning or worrisome the gamekeepers were to immediately report this to the nlb via radio or telegraph 18 miles southeast of Aileen Moore is Galen Head. And living there was the Flannan Isles Lighthouse Gamekeeper, Roderick McKenzie. Because of the location of his home being on the closest point of the main outer Hebrides to the Flannan Isles, he was hired as a gamekeeper, getting paid eight pounds a year, which I'm sure was popping back in 18. Yeah. 1900. Right. And you just to use your eyes. Swear to God, only thing you have to do is look out your window. We're good. And reminder, it's 18 miles away. The light reaches 20. So it's probably going through your windows at night. Not a big deal. Investigators from the NLB went to Roderick's home to interview him and collected all of his logs. Roderick explained that from December 7th to December 29th, he was unable to see the lighthouse tower itself. Like, even with a telescope, he couldn't see it because the fog was so bad. He was able to see the light at night from the 7th to the 14th. But from the 15th until the night of the 26th, he could not see the light, which worried him. Well, we know Joseph Moore and his men were the reasons that the light turned on in the night of the 26th, which is why he was able to see it again. So let's back up. He couldn't see the tower because of the fog, which was typical and okay because from the 7th to the 14th, he could see the light, so no big deal. However, when he couldn't see the light for 10 days... He didn't make a report. Which happened sometimes due to fog and very, very bad weather, but never for this long of a period, despite the fact that the light itself was powerful enough to reach 20 miles on a clear night and he was only 18 miles away, which he admitted was concerning to him but not concerning enough for him to ever report this to the NLB. Right. Which was literally your only job. Right. The only single job you had. you failed, my guy. One task, too, that was in his contract. So what are we doing? On January 8th, 1901, the NLB superintendent, Robert Muirhead, who personally knew the three missing men as friends and he had recruited them to work as the Flannan Isles lighthouse keepers, completed his investigation into the disappearances of James, Thomas, and Donald. Writing and summary, and I got this actual, it's the real letter from the nlb.org.utk. We're not UTK. Not UTK. Not EDU. NLB.org. At balls.utk.edu. EDU. And you can read all this on their website. They have it in like great detail. It says, quote, after a careful examination of the place, the railings, ropes, etc., and weighing all the evidence which I could secure, I am of the opinion that the most likely explanation of the disappearances of the men is that they had gone down on the afternoon of Saturday, 15th of December, to the proximity of the West Landing to secure the box with the mooring ropes, etc., and that an unexpected large roller, which is like a rogue wave, had come up onto the island and a large body of water going higher than where they were and coming down upon them had swept them away with relentless force. In conclusion, I would desire to record my deepest regret as such a disaster occurring to the keepers in the service. I knew Ducat and Marshall intimately and MacArthur the occasional as well. They were selected on my recommendation for the lighting of such an important station as Flannan Isles. 
And as it is always my endeavor to secure the best men possible of the establishment of a station, as the success and contentment at a station depends largely on the keeper's presence at its installation, this of itself is an indication that the board has lost two of its most efficient keepers and a competent occasional. Which I'm like, that's Always a slap in the face. Dear yeah. God. I was with the keepers for more than a month during the summer of 1899, when everyone worked hard to secure the early lighting of the station before winter. And working along with them, I appreciate the manner in which they performed their work. I visited Flannan Isles when the relief was made on December 7th and have the melancholy recollection that I was the last person to shake hands with them and bid them adieu. End quote. Basically, he says that the only reasonable explanation is if there was a huge storm and they needed to go down to the West Landings and secure the boxes and the ropes. And when they were doing this, a massive rogue wave swept them all three to sea. But others believe that that is absolute bullshit. And over the years, many theories have circulated. So let's walk through every single one of them. We're going to do this and from the most reasonable to the most Morgan delusional. Okay. Yes. And we're going to debunk as we go. So starting with the superintendent, Robert Muirhead's conclusion, theory number one, rogue wave. All three men, James, Thomas, and Donald, were in a really bad storm that was causing damage to the West Landings. So they rushed down there in an effort to quickly, as a team, secure everything down there, etc., when a large and extremely tall wave came over them and swept them out to sea. Supporting this theory, number one, there were massive signs of damage to the West Landings from what only could be a horrific storm, which is clear in the log entries about the storms being so bad that they felt the need to pray and James was being quiet, the morale was low, Donald is crying. So that makes sense. Number two, supporting this, This could explain why Donald left in such a hurry without his coat. Maybe James and Thomas had gone down there to secure everything. They got in some sort of trouble. Maybe one got swept to sea and he had to rush out the door to go help them and forgot his jacket. Or maybe he stayed behind in the lighthouse, which was a rule. One person had to stay in the lighthouse at all times and was watching as this massive swell was coming towards the island. So he went out to scream and warn them, but it was too late and everybody got swept to sea. Number three, this is supported by the fact that Thomas had actually recently been fined for ropes that had been washed off of the island. So maybe he was scared to be fined again and went down there to secure them despite the fact that he was told not to because it was too rough and was washed to sea and maybe James and Donald saw this and went to try and rescue and help him but they were all washed out to sea. Next, historians in more recent years have actually found reports of a first-hand experience of one of these massive waves from the logs of the Flannan Isles Lighthouse Keeper from 1953 to 1957 named Walter Aldbert. And Walter had been in the lamp house, which is the very top where the light is. He was in the top of it during one of these awful storms. And a wave. Right. Well, he had to. He had to go out there and work the damn light. As he's up there working the light, this huge wave comes up over the lamp and like completely goes through the light. Light burns out, I guess. I don't know. He almost gets washed to sea. He's holding on to the railings for dear life. 
and it like hit the lantern it hit him it almost took him out like there was a lot of damage and this happened on at least three different occasions that have been documented now lastly this makes sense and is supported by the fact that the geography of the island makes this all possible the coastline of Aileen Moor is deep and it has these narrow gullies or indentations around the sides of it And the West Landing is where all of these indentations feed into, which is a giant cave. So in high seas or really bad storms, water will rush into this cave and explode out against it, Mm -hmm. creating these super large waves and extremely rough water. But let's debunk all of this. Please. Number one, James Ducott was an extremely respected lighthouse keeper for over 20 years who was known to run a tight ship and be rather strict. Why would he allow all three men to rush down to the West Landings, knowing the geography of the island and the seriousness of this storm at the sea that they're praying about? Right. Not to mention, it would break every single protocol to not leave at least one person behind. So there's no way that this was like a team effort. Yeah. And I feel like with the erosion and the damage that was done, like on the west side, that they would have had to known that these massive waves were coming or well, like not right. maybe not just the one rogue wave but like if it was damaging that bad it was hard water hitting the sides of the cliff and they're down there like, and they can see it so right. at that point they're like okay do Why we risk we our be- life for these fucking ropes or we right. get fined five bucks yeah you know it, it just doesn't make any sense number two if James and Thomas needed help because something had happened and Donald was watching, which is what led him to run out the door without his jacket, he would have already had his jacket on because in order to watch them, he would have had to be outside on the landing or on the balcony. And if it was as bad of storms as they're saying it was, enough that it could create all this damage, he, it's December right? above Scotland. He's got his jacket on. Yeah. And for it to be so bad storms, like... Even if it's, if you're on a boat and it starts rocking, like you're getting misted the entire time. So you're going to want to have your jacket on. Right. And chances are they probably were wearing them inside the house as well. Right. And it's freezing. Yeah. It's freezing. Number three, it makes no sense that the men were so terrified of these storms because this lighthouse was barely a year old and they were a hundred plus feet above sea level in the safest part of the lighthouse like there was no reason for them to be concerned yeah i mean maybe if it but and if it was something that was so recurring that had them that scared right like it should it would have been reported and other people would have experienced it too because that's not like a one-off thing that happens as long as they were inside they would be totally fine and if it was as truly as bad as storms as these logs indicate james would have ruled that it was too dangerous for them to go outside right and I mean, he would. He's a, he's been doing this for 20 years. Like, obviously, he's kept people safe and he's kept himself safe. Right. Follows protocol. Right. Number four. If the storms were this terrible, there is no reasonable explanation that the East Landing was totally fine. Yeah. Despite the fact that the geography and the layout of the island is different on the East versus the West, there still would have been signs of at least some damage. Right. Because whenever Joseph Moore came back and docked at the east and came up, he was like, yeah, everything was how when I left it. Like, it was completely normal. It makes no sense. Number five, other than the logs, the grass on the cliff that was messing and the west landing, there were no signs or reports ever made by anyone about storms being in the area. 
Oh. Therefore, it would have had to have been intensely localized on Aileen Moore, which does not happen. Yeah, that is odd. Which leads me to theory number two. They were blown off of the island. This theory claims that extremely rough, high, strong winds broke out, strong enough to rip the emergency buoy from its secured location 110 feet above sea level. Therefore, the men all went to different locations to try and secure ropes and other things, and whoever was at the west landings needed help, so maybe they rushed down to save him, maybe he got thrown into the water, and then they were all blown to sea. Supporting this theory are only two things. Number one, the butt of Lewis, which is the Isle of Lewis where the release station was, or the farthest point of the Lewis Island, was determined by Guinness back in this time to be the windiest place in the UK. Oh, wow. And this is only 20 miles away. Yeah. Number two, this could explain the damage, the buoy, the cliffs, graphs, and the rough waters that caused all of the damage to the west landings. Because maybe the wind was coming from the west. Yeah. So that's why like it's going up under that thing, flipping the cave, flipping back, ripping right. all that shit out the water. But debunking. Like making like a riptide but with wind. Exactly. Yeah. And that would be strong enough. to Because if there's wind, then the water's going to be choppy. Right. So it's likely crashing up to that, coming up, ripping all these things out of the ground, breaking iron railings. Like the elements are just as dangerous as a giant coming yeah. in, you know? But debunking this theory, again, Donald's jacket, which is the primary theme in a lot of these debunking, Mm -hmm. his jacket. If it's that windy where the water will for sure be thrown in your face. And it's freezing. And against your body and it's freezing. Why would you leave without a jacket? Yeah. Number two, there is no way that James plus two other experienced keepers would ever be caught this off guard. Right. Number three, there is evidence of high winds in the area clearly but never strong enough to rip 33 feet of grass off the top of a cliff. Yeah. And I also want to add add to that. Wait, go ahead. You finish. No. Oh, okay. That- um, there's two more. Whatever number this is. There were no reports of high winds strong enough to do any of this damage during the time frame that they would have gone missing. And lastly, their bodies were never found. So that goes for both the rogue wave and the high winds. Right. Um, how the, what's it called? The keeper? The, the keeper's. The The, gamekeeper. The gamekeeper. Mm -hmm. How he said it was super foggy, that he couldn't see anything. Fog is usually a very thick, dense, thick sitting. Still. It's not moving. That's why there's fog. Right. So it just doesn't make sense to me that these winds, if the winds were so high, then that fog would have moved through. Exactly. It would have been gone. So that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. Theory number three a psychotic breakdown. Hmm. Being a lighthouse keeper is a really tough job. You're alone, you're secluded with no communication, and you have to do lots of work. It's not just manning the light. Like, you've got to constantly be doing shit all day long. And it's really late nights, early mornings, and you sit with the same people every single day, all the time, in these buildings that look like prisons. Right. You know? Maybe they were driven with the storms into a psychosis, Or maybe they hallucinated the storms and believed that the only way that they could survive this was if they tried to flee the island and died doing so. Oh, shit. So supporting this theory are three things. Number one, many lighthouse keepers experience psychosis and hallucination spells. Because you're secluded, you're alone, you're doing the same thing. It's It's Groundhog Day. When you get put in isolation Mm -hmm. or like... 
and a jail. You know, the what are those called? What is that called? Um, the padded rooms. The damn it, what is it called? Seclusion, isolation, solitary confinement. When you get put in solitary confinement, you know you go. You go crazy. Yeah. You literally go crazy. And that's what you are, just on an island. Yeah. Can't leave it. You can't go. And you're literally on a fucking rock. Right. That's all yeah. Aileen Moore is. Number two, there were no reports of any storms. Yeah. So it's just odd that it's what they're talking about, what this damage looks like. It's just crazy. There's no reports of storms. There's ships that go back and forth here all the time. Like, there would have been something mm -hmm. that someone saw or experienced. And you have the gamekeeper who, if he can see the the island, I can look over towards Oak Ridge and I can tell if there's rain over the mountains. Right. Yeah, you know? exactly. And that's an hour away. Yeah. So that's crazy. Number three, the fact that Donald was crying, the men were praying, and James was reserved and quiet. Mm -hmm. All signs that they could potentially be in some sort of psychosis. But debunking this theory... There is no evidence that they had taken a boat or built one to try to escape the island. Number two, there is no writings that would indicate that anybody was in a psychosis. Yeah, usually you get some manic writings. Right. And, and number three, again, they're experienced keepers. Like they've right. been doing this for so long. Number four, lastly, it is extremely rare, if not impossible, that all three men experienced these hallucinations and went into psychosis at the same time mm -hmm. aka whoever was still lucid would have had to would likely have called for help or done something right um, unless they had some toxic plant on the island you know right. what i mean or like something like that and that, this like never happened before and right. it never happened again so it yeah. doesn't make any sense theory number four that they were murdered by the gamekeeper. Oh, I just got chills. I know. People find it extremely odd that Roderick did not call for help after at most five days of not seeing the light. Yeah, it's your job. And okay. some reports claim that when the superintendent arrived to interview him for the investigation, he was gone. He was out of town. And all the information that was given to the superintendent was from his logs and his 16-year-old son. Oh, shit. Maybe he was a serial killer, went yeah. to the island, murdered the men, and threw them off. Supporting oh, this theory, crap. three things. It would explain why he never reported the concerns he had. For sure. Number two. It is a super secluded location. Perfect. That you would have ample time and opportunity to carry out your crime Plus, clean up after yourself. And your job is to observe them. You know what their routine is. Right. And on top of that, you're not going to report that the lighthouse isn't on if it. Yeah. Exactly. If you committed right. crime, You have all the time in the world. You're the one that reports them. Right. You're the only. You have control over their life yeah. already. As is. And lastly, supporting this theory, James wanted to test Roderick. So just before this, James had gone to his buddy, who was the superintendent, and said, look. Roderick is not a lighthouse keeper. He never has been. He never was. He doesn't have any family that was. I don't think he can properly take care of us. So I want to run a test. And the superintendent was like, okay, well, what type of test? And he's like, I want to put up the cranes and the flags for help and see how long it takes for him to report this. Shit. And the superintendent said no. Shit. Whew debunking this theory ain't no way one man could take down these three men right number two there is no motive because roderick had no idea about this pr proposed test yeah. or the fact that anybody were, was questioning his capabilities number three 
There were no signs of a struggle, no signs of murder, nothing. Number four, Donald was an ex-mariner with oh, military yeah, he training. Would have, would have snapped him. He was a super big dude. By the way, look at the picture of these guys. They've got crazy mustaches. I mean, I'd be scared to fucking death yeah. to pull up on that island thinking I was going to murder all three of them. Me too. Ain't no shot. Big guess. Um, and in addition to this, if anybody was going to be able to kill three men at once, it was 100% going to be Donald. Mm-hmm. Leading me to theory number five, murder-suicide. Maybe one of the men had gone into a psychosis and murdered the others, became lucid again, and then committed suicide because you just murdered your other keepers. Or maybe a fight broke out between two of the men at the West Landing, taking the psychosis completely out of it, all right? And the third came in to try to break up the fight, probably Donald, because he ran out without his jacket. Mm-hmm. He runs out there and somehow people get killed. One person commits suicide. Support for this theory. Donald was known to be a volatile character. He was always getting in fights. He had been arrested on multiple occasions for abuse and like fighting people, getting shit faced drunk and getting brawls yeah. and shit. Number two. It's more plausible to think that one went into a psychosis They're and killed three. another or the two others before coming to and, you know, ending it. Number three, this could explain the morale being low, the crying, the praying, the storms were possibly referring to arguments instead of actual storms. But if that was the case, Thomas would have had to been the killer because his last entry was storms ended. See calm. God is over all. Yeah. Maybe he was the one that was in psychosis. And when he and James had gone to secure the West Landing, he tries to kill James or he kills James. Donald sees it. Comes running out. Comes running out, ready to murder Thomas. And Donald either kills Thomas or vice versa. Yeah. Debunking this theory, again, no signs of a struggle, no signs of being psychosis had never happened very strategic to exactly get rid of all the bodies without them washing back exactly and why commit suicide after if that was the case like instead you could just lie because no one saw you right no one would know exactly um and lastly no motive Mm -hmm. unless we consider theory number six oh a love triangle oh maybe the three were in a love triangle and something went wrong supporting this theory really there's no support so this theory other than this theory spending six weeks with someone at a time can really lead to relationships for sure and next maybe it worked out that all three men fell in love together so they arranged for a boat to come and pick them up and they went away and lived happily ever after yeah. and it may, it may not even to the extent of love but like friendship like yeah. they were like we fucking love this yeah leave our families leave our kids let's just go have a good yeah. time three bros yeah anyways debunking this someone would have known something yeah you know like maybe not if there was a love triangle someone would have known or heard or yeah someone would have left their wives they were married one of the other guys on the crew that wasn't on the island would have would have heard something about this like this isn't or noticed noticed or like joseph moore and william ross the two guys who were rotate the main rotators not Mm -hmm. donald was the occasional they would have probably been in on this love triangle because yeah. Donald wasn't there all the time. What what are the chances that Donald comes as the occasional right. this one time and all of a sudden they're all three? Well, maybe he is like the, the head honcho though and they're like, fuck, Donald's coming. Donald's coming. Yeah. <laughs> um, next, there would have been signs of struggle again. 
Lastly, a boat probably would have been able to be spotted and yeah. recorded in the area if some if they had ran away together. Plus, it would have been hard for a boat to pull up to the island itself, which is why I'm going to go ahead and debunk theory number seven, which is that they were abducted by spies, foreign spies. There's really no support for this theory other than pirates. That's what I was thinking, pirates. Yeah. Maybe they saw something that they weren't supposed to having to do with a, another country. Um, but there would have been things if it was a pirate or if it's a spy, you would have seen a struggle. Yeah. There would have been things missing, but everything was there. So unless they were just like super cool pirates or spies, like it's not likely. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they were ghost pirates. Yeah. Leading me to theory number eight, spirits on the island. Ooh, haunted. So we've got two situations. Number one, I call it the sheep situation. So back in the day, all right, shepherds would come from all over the UK and take boats with their sheep to this island, to Ailing Moor. And they would let the sheep walk around eat grass and then they would load back up at night and go home and it is said that the grass from flannan isles was magical and oh. anytime a shit sheep was sick not the shit sheep not the shit sheep anytime a sheep anytime a shit sheep how do you even shep a singular sheep, sheep? it's sheep. just sheep and sheep any i hate that anytime a, a sheep was like really sick they would bring it over to this island let it eat its grass or they would bring the grass from these islands back to the sheep and, and they would murac like somehow Whoa. have this crazy fucking miracle recovery maybe it's like like tuck everlasting like the right water and during birthing season or breeding season they would take the females over there and let them eat the grass because most of the time they would come back and have twin sheep what yeah that's shit's brutal. crazy shit but when the sun started to go down, you had to get out because there were spirits. And whoever dared stay past midnight or dark. You were haunted. You were fucking goner, my guy. You were a goner. You the were ghost a pirates goner. pirates were coming. Because there are the, the phantoms ghost. of the seven hunters. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, the name of the island. Mm-hmm. Or whatever so it was. I got the majority of this from johnnifton.com, and I believe he's like a researcher, historian, author. Basically, for centuries, this group of windswept islands had been called the Seven Hunters, and they were commonly believed to be haunted by the phantoms of the Seven Hunters, a supernatural being who carried people off to who knows where. Flannan Isle was inhabited by St. Flannan around 650 AD, and pilgrims came to see his home. But only after removing their hats and turning 360 degrees clockwise immediately after coming ashore. In medieval times, shepherds brought their sheep to Flannan Isles to graze in the summer, but none would stay overnight. At the time, there was a strong local belief that hundreds of years before, in pre-Christian times, the islands were where pagan Picts took their dead and burnt them on funeral priors. Like a ritual. Yeah. Rituals were held here. Whoa. Yeah. For these How reasons. How did they get to the islands? Boats. I'm, I'm telling you, they're little rocks. You just. Damn. Yeah. Take a little boat out. 
For these reasons, in 1899 to 1900, it had actually been extremely difficult for any men among the local population willing to serve in the brand new lighthouse of Flannan Isles. Joseph Moore, the first man on the island after the men's disappearance, reported that he had felt strange and eerie feelings as he walked through the deserted lighthouse. And ever since the disappearance, anybody who works on the island or is on the island feels an overwhelming sense of melancholy, along with hearing whispers of the men's names. Whoa. Yeah. But that's crazy. I'm not going to leave it with ghosts because no. if there's anything we know about Gaelic, Celtic, old English shit is that the lore is phenomenal. Yeah. So we've got to dig into it. And you know, it's my favorite subject. So theory number nine is water sprites. What? Water sprites. Specifically, the blue men of Minch, also known as storm kelpies. They are mythological creatures inhabiting the stretch of water between the northern outer Hebrides and the mainland Scotland, looking for sailors to drown or stricken boats to sink. They were they will they will appear to be localized to the area like they'll come across as normal humans. They'll look completely normal apart from their blue color, though. So other than the fact that their skin is fucking blue. They're literally avatars. They're they're normal. They're totally fine, but they have blue skin. The mythical creatures look much like humans and are about the same size. They have the power to create storms. But when the weather oh. is fine, they float sleeping on or just below the surface of the water. Ew. The blue men will, <laughs> will swim with their torsos raised out of the sea, twisting and diving. They are able to speak, and when a group approaches a ship, its chief may shout out two lines of poetry to the master of the vessel and challenge him to complete the, the verse. Avatar dolphins. <laughs> and if the skipper fails in a task to beat the blue men in this rap battle, basically, then the blue men capsize the ship. You're dead. So beat us in a rap battle. Poetry slam right now with Poetry the blue slam. murdering avatars. <laughs> Go. Or the ship upside down sunk. Sunken. Sunken. To the bottom of the sea. Yeah. But you know, I was thinking, I don't know if you talk about this, but how the last line of his journal was that quote. What if that was the end of his fucking poem? I swear to God, I thought the same thing. Suggestions to explain the mythical blue men include that they may have been pers- personification of the sea or originate within the ritual the pagan rituals that took place on these islands who painted their bodies before they burned them in these rituals so it may have been giving the impression that the men would raise themselves out of the water or these these blue people these blue people but in reality they were just on kayaks going over there to perform rituals but either way, I, I just love the fact that you have to beat them in a fucking rap battle. No, yeah. To no. save your life. They said pitch perfect were... <laughs> zoom, 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 zoom. Last theory. Theory number 10. They were abducted by aliens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Point blank period. I'm waiting for this one. That's all. That is truly I mean, it. it would explain the grass. Yeah. It would and ex- that's about it. It would explain... And maybe the the damage. Yeah. Um, And... It's a lighthouse. They're going to be drawn to lights. I have a theory. Okay, go ahead. 
Well, we do you want to finish talking about aliens? Oh, there's nothing more about aliens. The only thing I have left is that all in all, things are definitely speculated from vast ranges of you know theories. Yeah. But recent research actually suggests that the recovered logs may have not been authentic. They might have oh. been added to the story for the lore. Yeah. Or it was a cover up. Like Joseph Moore wrote the logs. Oh. They have no idea. Interesting. Yeah. But that's it. So my theory, well, it's kind of funny that you started talking about the lore. Because I, whenever you start talking about emotions, I immediately thought sirens. Sirens, yeah. Because, and blue men are basically sirens. Right. And then you said that. I was like, well, that sounds like a, like a depiction of a siren. Yeah. And like sirens are most commonly spotted out in the UK and mm-hmm. Eurasia area. Yeah. And um, especially around like cliffs like that yeah and it would explain the emotions how maybe one reacted to the siren as silence the other mm-hmm. as crying, crying and the other like totally normal because maybe they weren't they're thinking it's a storm yeah and it's really not a storm it's just that the sirens are and they were all really just at the bottom of the the shore yeah and so they walk down because they're hearing they're it drawn. was like not psychosis but more so a siren drawing them down there and then they got washed away and eaten I, I think that, honest to God, makes the most sense out of everything. Yeah. That or an alien I abduction. Thought, yeah. I thought siren as soon as you started talking about um, the emotions. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is a fucking siren. It's but, just crazy. But the blue man is literally like a depiction of the siren. siren. So. It's just older lore. Yeah. Or and different I like interpretations. <laughs> I do too. That's that. my favorite. I love. I, I love the blue men, guys. Okay, uh, Scottish friends. Is there a, an, a holiday that we can celebrate? Is Saint the do, blue do Saint Patty's Day or anything like that? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just because it's like. It was pretty good. It's. I, I love. It's the always lore so of it. fun. Yeah. It's always so fun. Give us something. I love. I love it so much. Like I. I know. Like a I lot. I will of- go get married at the lighthouse. No, I swear to God. I will go get married. All I could think about was the the castle Christmas movie where she goes to that castle yeah. in Scotland, and I was like, you know what? There's probably no telling what the fuck's gone in Scotland. And you know how I found this case. So yes, I knew about it from M covering it, but I had forgotten about it completely. Right. So I was going through this. Uh, I was on Wikipedia and I was going through this case that That's someone. That's the most toxic word you can I say. I know. I'm really life. fucking sorry. Just hold on. <laughs> so I was going through and I. They lost me at Wikipedia. <laughs> on Wikipedia, they have this list of missing people. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to like. Way beyond. Way beyond. Like yeah. beyond beyond. So I was like, who is the oldest missing person? It goes person? back to when jesus was no i swear to god it really does I, I, I swear to god it really does it was like <laughs> adbc crazy shit dude like year one i mean it was crazy, it, crazy. it's the first it's like i went back to the oldest so i went down this rabbit hole i was like i've got to figure out who the oldest missing person is in history yeah first recorded at least yeah and i found i was going through every single one of these i was like oh this my one god it, though, no it? this wasn't it so then i started going down this rabbit hole and I'm looking. And you got sucked. I got sucked in. And so I'm reading through every single one. I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm like Googling articles on the other side. I'm reading this. And then I come across and I'm like, I recognize So you said this. there was a movie about it? Yeah, there's a movie about it. I think I Ro- watch not it. Robert Pattinson. He's not the one in it. Right? Not Edward Cullen. Yeah. I might be wrong. Don't even tell me that that Edward Collins is in it. I can't. Twilight. Yeah, there's a whole movie. There's two movies, actually, that's based on it. 
I'm watching it. There's well, there's a ton of things that are based on this because this that is was just good. I like it. Good rabbit hole. I hope I hope you guys enjoyed it. That was that you needed a little light case. I I needed because what I'm bringing you guys next week is a 186 page book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I, lock and loaded because it's a two parter. Yeah, no, it's not a two parter. I refuse to <laughs> I make wish it a two parter. <laughs> it's gonna be tough. And when I was researching it, I actually called Morgan, and I I haven't done this in a really long time. Like. Obviously, cases affect me heavily because, number one, I'm an empathic person. A hundred percent. spiritually connected. Very emotional. So when I'm reading through this, and I'm a cancer, <laughs> I'm reading through this, I'm sobbing my brains out. Like, I was sick yeah. to my stomach. I was about to throw up. I texted Morgan out at, like, 11 o'clock the other night. And I was like, dude, I don't know that I can do this. Like, I, I've already got 18 pages of notes, but, like, I think I need yeah. to back out. It's just too much. And then I found, I thought of a different way to cover it, which is what I've been wanting to do for a really long time. Yeah, and a so lot then, of different cases. Right. And I pushed it. I decided to push it a week so I could perfect it since I've never reported on a case like this before. Yeah, I'm really excited to see how it plays out. Me too. I'm, I think it'll be... A really good case. I think it'll be a. Re I think you guys will really enjoy the way that I've chosen to report it to you. Yeah. yeah. Okay, guys. Well, happy Thursday. I hope you had a great time. Morgan, your birthday is coming around the corner. It's my birthday month. It's your birthday month. I don't want to be twenty-five. I'm gonna have a quarter-life crisis. Oh my god, we already had one. It's okay. We have one of those every single day. What are you talking about? Uh, stresses me oh my out. god 25 you turned Stop. 25 i've known getting you stressed out. Look at since you turned 19 well we've been friends for that long that's crazy that's crazy that's crazy where should we make the boys take us for my birthday dinner oh my god <laughs> i thought we were doing i thought we were taking a, a brewery tour on that bus <laughs> yeah but <laughs> it'll end up being just us four so where are we going? yeah, yeah really though where are we going i thought we were also going to go on a weekend trip yeah, I canceled that. We keep changing the plans. I don't want to leave Ollie. Yeah. I w but it is on a Friday, and I did take off work for it. So I do want to I want to do a little something. Okay, here's the question. I'm going to give you two things. Okay. Number one, you can plan something. Plan a day. Okay? Like, what I'm thinking of is when Claudia from The Toast had her most recent birthday. I think it was her... No, it wasn't her 30th, 27th. I don't know. She took, she called over a friend. She wasn't planning on anything. She never like does it. She doesn't plan on doing anything. She calls over friends and at the beginning of the week and was like, on my birthday, be at my house at this time, wear something like this. I'm taking you somewhere. And then everybody showed up. This party bus pulled up. She played this <laughs> specific playlist Dope. giving hints about where they were going. And they went to like an adult version of uh, main main event. Oh, yeah. They went to like an event version of that. I mean, an adult version of that and in this like party bus. And then it took everybody like everybody back to her house at the end of the day. That's pretty good. And so you can do that. Well, it'll just be us on the day. It'll just be me and you. Everyone else in our life down here will be working. Yeah. So we'll start with a coffee shop and we'll go from there. We'll go from there. <laughs> or well, we, maybe we actually go to the to main event, kid main event. That would be or fun. I could do something crazy like that no, for you. I don't want that. <laughs> that sounds so fun, doesn't it? Yeah, we it need something fun. fun. We're boring. Yeah. We are. We're done. We're be fun. We're lazy. And I'm the queen of a good birthday in a last minute put together there's no holiday better than a birthday in my opinion 
I know. It's a one I just, day. I really just don't like making my birthday a big deal. It's your 25th birthday. I know. Stop. Oh my God. When you turned 21, we had a great time. You turned 25. I had, my 21st birthday was my biggest birthday celebration. Yeah. For sure. At school and with like my family. We, I would. I had a two week birthday. Okay. Yeah. We had a huge party. Yes. A huge night. You were face down on the toilet floor. I made a, a handmade a cake. It was awesome. I still have the And Barbie. then I died because of all the work that went into it. I had to literally, I had and to then, off myself. And then we went to Nashville, but none of you guys were 21 yet. So yeah. You, you guys couldn't go. I didn't go, no. But I was with like my mom and all of Yeah, and you guys our, had like, so much fun. But then you had a fucking accident. Yeah, we got into a car accident <laughs> with an Uber. <laughs> Uber driver. Oh, you did. Shit. You did. That uh, was crazy. Yeah. So either you, you decide. I'll give you this weekend to decide. And I need you to just throw some some plans. Well, if I tell you, then it won't be as fun. I don't like surprises. We won't we won't go anywhere crazy, but we'll get a cute we'll get cute outfits. It'll give us a good opportunity to get a lot of great pictures. Okay. It won't be at a house. We'll go out and do something. We don't need to be at someone's house. Okay. And then wherever we do, is there a day spa in Knoxville? Yeah, there that is. we could do like on a Friday, like me and you just do in the morning. Yeah, let's go do it. Like 100%. like a salt room and like a. Yeah, we can vlog it, write it bath. off. Where can I get a mud bath? Oh wait, we could go. I mean, we just have to wake up early and go drive a it's few. Like, or like something? an hour? No, it's it's closer to Nashville. There's this like Western style spa, or not Western, East Eastern Medicine Spa. That's like got salt caves let's go do that during the day we come back yeah. get ready you know after that we're gonna be like it's <laughs> i know we're not gonna be able to drive the fuck home but i don't know what we, that might get the ball rolling that's true because if i'm I doing think, something in the morning i think that would be the best birthday would be a day spa for me we go I'm to a day spa that'd be so fun like i think that would be the, the best way i could enjoy my birthday yeah and then we'll come back and party okay fine we got to do something. You're turning 25. I know. I do want to go to Space Bar. Oh, yeah. We could go to Space Bar. Oh, what's you that new reservations bar? There. Um, new bar. There's a new bar that just opened that's apparently awesome. Oh, we could go to Monkey's. Yeah. You want to go to Monkey's? No. We could do lunch there. Yeah. That sounds good. Not. But we're going to be an hour away at a Space Bar. Yeah. Getting lunch. We'll come back. Okay. Unless the unless the Day Spa has like sick-ass lunch. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll figure it out. That sounds fun. Or we could go down to that winery that just opened. Yeah. Down there and just rent a little something, something. Something, something. Like a small house or whatever. That could be fun. Go for like Friday, Saturday. We'll get it to where it's dog friendly. Ollie can come. Stay at the Airbnb. Yeah, that'd be fun. All right, we'll We'll think about it. it. We'll get back to you on what our plans are. You guys want to (laughs) come? You guys want to come to the party? Meet us at the day spot. Love you, bye. Bye.